Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Davide Mastracci, Associate Editor of Islamic Monthly. You've written for Al Jazeera, The National Post, and The Globe and Mail. We're going to talk about the Panama Papers, John Kay saying political correctness is keeping poor people down, and Heather Malik's column in the Toronto Star about whiteness in media. Davide, welcome to Shortcuts. Happy to be here. Happy to see you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Timothy Helmuth, Martin Cook, Trevor McGinnon, Adam Molnar, Cameron McLean, Dan Semenek, Ainsley Merck, and Danan Sloan. Danan, why did you decide to support Canada Land? Because Canada Land is the radio show I've searched for for years. I believe the media landscape in Canada is in dire need of a more diverse and alternative platforms for dialogue and debate. This episode is also brought to you by Canada Land's founding sponsor, FreshBooks. FreshBooks Cloud Accounting makes keeping your finances easy. 
Davide, you're a freelancer. How do you keep track of your finances? Mm, Microsoft Word document. Well. There's not too much to keep track of <laughs> at this point, so uh, it's not that hard. Well, if you're a freelancer or if you run your own business, FreshBooks acts like your personal accounting department. It's easy to use. It doesn't take much of your time. Plus, you'll look more professional. You don't have to give out embarrassing homemade invoices from Microsoft Word. See? What mm -hmm. an advantage. I'll sign up. Exactly. When you do freelance work, sometimes you have to wait around for months to get paid. It's frustrating and it makes it hard to plan your life. But FreshBooks gets you paid quicker so you don't have to go through that. You can visit the website at freshbooks.com or you can download their app. It's available on iOS and Android. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand and you can try it out for free for 30 days. That's freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. CBC News has exclusive Canadian access to a huge leak of international financial data about tax havens. Rise open a network of offshore deals. Fallout from the Panama Papers continues this morning. We're learning more about the Canadians connected to the massive leak of documents. So, I mean, the first thing is CBC saying they have exclusive access, mm -hmm. which I don't think is true because the star, the star had as well, a yeah. pretty massive spread, right? Mm -hmm. It's just strange. Yeah. Just media infighting. Kevin Livin mm -hmm. at the National Post wrote something about the Panama Papers. Did you read it? I did read it. Let's try to sum up what he wrote. Okay, to sum it up in one sentence, yeah. he wrote that it's not a big deal because most of the stuff done was legal. Which, I mean, like, is technically true. A lot of, I mean, offshore banking isn't illegal. 
and shell companies aren't illegal. You can have them. He did have the slant that it was like a really unfair attack on the wealthy. Yeah. And I, I mean, I thought the whole premise of the argument was pretty shallow. I mean, it was kind of like a high school argument where he says, okay, because it's legal, there must not be a problem with it. And there's, I mean, pretty obvious examples in history where legal stuff has been pretty explicitly bad. Um, so I think he could have gone beneath that and made a more obvious case for why he thinks it's not a problem. I don't think that's the kind of case you would want to make explicitly because it's going to make you look pretty bad. But I read an interesting article um, a couple of days ago. I think it was yeah, at The Intercept by Glenn Greenwald. And he said that the connection between this and the Snowden leaks were that not necessarily that people were doing a lot of illegal stuff, but it just showed how much sketchy stuff is actually legal and how disturbing that is, which I think makes sense here. Yeah. And I mean, even when we look at what has happened that has been illegal, I mean, like with Iceland's prime minister, that's crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a pretty big thing that I think you would want to know if you lived there. And I feel like when we look at things from like a North American or a Canadian angle, and then we sort of set other countries as apart from us, and we think that what's happening to them isn't as relevant or as big of a deal. And I kind of felt like that in the Libin piece where he said, like, well, the only big thing that's come out of this is that their PM has been... I think like he stepped down and then he took it back and then they made him resign. Like that's a big deal. And it's only been two days. So I don't know why he's acting as if that's nothing. But I mean, a lot of his argument also uh, was basically saying it's okay if rich people hold the country hostage. He was basically saying like, well, if you made tax rates lower, then they might not have to do this kind of stuff. So you should do that. But realistically, I mean, they don't want to pay taxes. Even if the tax rate was were like 5%, 4%, 3%, they're not going to say, okay, we'll pay taxes now. We we want to like dispose of our money in that way. They're still going to do it. Um, so I think his argument was too too soft, really. Well, it's so brave of him to defend the rich. Yeah, I know. I've always thought that about it. Really takes courage. <laughs> like the thing about it is that like there's a lot of like digging for a Canadian angle, but like... There isn't a lot to say. Yeah, (laughs) certainly it's yeah. I mean, certainly it's interesting, and everybody should read it. But I guess that's maybe a a part of sort of digging for CanCon in everything, Mm -hmm. right? We sort of heard that in the pack that everyone's like, "This has a lot to do with Canada," and I'm not. I mean, maybe that depends on like the kind of reader you are. If you're really into like business reporting, then you probably know way more about this than you and I collectively. Yeah, (laughs) there was that other article you sent where the guy is like. Oh, like if you have an offshore uh, tax account, here's how you can not get in trouble oh, for yeah, it. Oh, yeah, the which financial is, post, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it tells you a lot about who their readership is because <laughs> I think that would only apply to like 0.5% of the population, but he wrote an article specifically for I mean, it. Like, so. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm interested in it if I were like a super villain. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I needed to make an, a shell account. Yeah. And I, for some reason, was reading the financial post. Yeah. As Lex Luthor. For a blueprint. What do I need to, do to know? Yeah. <laughs> Although I feel like if somebody was doing that already, I don't think they would need to read the financial post no, to get instructions re- <laughs> on how to do it. So I don't I don't really understand what the purpose was. Like, yeah. I don't care about that because I'm not in a position to set up like yeah. a shell account. And the people who are doing it, I'm sure already know. So They probably have uh, people to call exactly. and they're not reading about it in their, yeah. in their national paper. Yeah. But who knows? I just like the idea of like my dad picking up the post and being like, Guess what I'm going to try to do. (laughs) So John Kay wrote a piece in The Walrus online, basically saying that political correctness is keeping poor people down. And he was writing about the real estate market in Vancouver and how, I guess, Chinese people are buying real estate. And then also there was some stuff about identity politics and how they are used as distractions 
Yeah, I mean, I think he was saying that uh, so the the housing prices in Vancouver are so high. He said that was because of offshore Chinese buyers, and he said that people should be calling that out, but they weren't because of political correctness. And so that kind of move towards political correctness has kind of、um, taken away from what the left supposedly always has focused on, which are like economic issues. So he's basically saying the left is betraying himself, which is very. Interesting for John Kay to say because, as far as I know, he's not part of the left, so it really just seems like concern trolling. The whole article. I mean, there's a lot of problems with it, but that was the first thing that stuck out to me. I was like, why does John Kay care about what the <laughs> left is doing? Why is he in a position to tell people on the left what to do? Well, it's odd to me because I think John talks a lot about class, and he often talks about it like it's separate from gender or race. Or just any sort of identity marker that I think a lot of people, when they talk about identity politics, talk about, and I think he considers them really separate, which I think is really odd. I think we know how class and sexuality intersect. I think we know how class and race intersects, and so when a lot of people talk about race, they're also talking about class.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I find it really strange that he's claiming that like that's a discussion that isn't being had, because so rarely is he. Having it, <laughs> yeah, and I mean that was the thing. If he wants to talk about class, that's fine. But he's talking about it in a very shallow way because he's saying, okay, the left isn't talking about class enough, so they're letting poor people down. But the real question should be, okay, how did people get poor in the first place? What systems are there that's making this happen? What kind of people are interested in keeping people poor? And those people aren't leftists, right? Like the system there is not. You know, leftist groups on university campuses. I mean, that's capitalism. That's how capitalism functions. So, if you really want to talk about class, you have to go beneath the root. Otherwise, he's just saying that you know, left wingers are responsible for poor people, which does not make sense. Yeah, I mean, it's also sort of difficult to listen to like a white dude talk to you about identity politics and、mm-hmm. activism. Quite frankly, because I don't know how much it affects his life. Maybe it does, but so far as I've seen, I don't think. Something like Black Lives Matter and the people who are protesting in the city right now—how much they affect his day to day. That's the thing that bothered me, I guess, the most about his column is just that he really seems to have no personal connection to anything in this. I mean, he's not poor. His conception of what poor people were was also really off. I mean, he started the piece off by saying, you know, people that make fifty thousand dollars a year can't buy houses in downtown Vancouver. Okay, maybe that's an issue, but those aren't really poor people. Like when I think of poor, that's not what I'm exactly thinking of. So I mean, he's not poor. His conception of poor is off. He's not part of the left, and I don't really understand why he's in a position to lecture it. I, I did think there is a bit of truth in his column, kind of buried underneath everything. I mean, there's been an ongoing debate. I think right now, always, but especially right now with the left in terms of the、um, U.S. presidential politics. Um, where the, I, I find the left is kind of fracturing, where some people are saying, you know, we're talking about identity politics too much, and there's not enough of an economic base, kind of like the Hillary Clinton,、yeah. Bernie Sanders thing. I've really seen it manifest there, especially because Clinton has kind of used the language of intersectionality、um, when I don't think she's not what, always well. I mean, not everybody's buying it, right? Oh no, I、yeah. mean that's exactly what I mean.、Uh, I saw one tweet saying she was like the Terminator, using the victims' voices on them, and that, I thought that was. <laughs> I thought that was really accurate.、Um, so I, I do think that it is a valid conversation. I just think where it's coming from does matter, and it doesn't seem to be coming from a genuine 
place. There's also kind of a lacking in understanding that a lot of the organizations that might talk about economic issues also talk about how gendered or racial oppressions feed into that Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So there seems to be sort of a lacking in context generally. Like I don't know why the discussion is always that you can either have identity politics or you can have economic politics and you can't actually talk about both of them. Right. And maybe the issue is because talking about identity politics is extremely complicated if you're not a person sort of in that scene. So if you're a white dude, it is a lot easier to talk about class mm-hmm. and economics and money than it is to talk about how your race or your gender, your sexuality, your identity plays into how you get to exist in the world, right. financially or otherwise. Yeah. I mean, he kind of flipped it around in the way he described it. He said, oh, you know, identity politics, it's very easy to talk about. It's very simple. You can tweet about it, but class is more complicated. I would say both are complicated and both require... Um, They're simple if lot. you don't think about it. Yeah, identity exactly. politics are really simple yeah. if you just don't give a shit and you're not really paying attention. Yeah, exactly. So I think he um, kind of dumbed it down for both. Um, like I said, I do think there is a small point of truth. I think the one thing about identity politics and kind of, you know, language of intersectionality when you do approach it from a class basis is that it can spread to anybody, but a lot of it is centered kind of in university circles. And for people who do have that kind of class privilege that they can go and attend these universities Mm -hmm. and the language used doesn't necessarily always translate to people who, you know, kind of just like the average person, the average worker who didn't do that. So I do think there is like some discussion needed there. But again, the way he portrayed it, I mean, he was talking about like how the progressive media was just focusing on like the Nakab debate instead of important stuff. But I mean, I did an article at the beginning of the year, I think in October, um, where I went through all of the media sources and I counted how many articles were focusing, you know, on the Cobb debate or the TPP, which is the exact example he gives. And all of them were focusing on the Nakab debate more, like in terms of number of articles. So that is a thing, but it's not a progressive media solely thing. And I mean, there is a reason people were talking about that. And it's not the media that created that problem, right? Well, I think part of it is like identity politics are maybe sexier to talk about. And it's a lot easier to sort of get like your head hot about it. And I think Mm -hmm. we're seeing that with the news coverage over that Black Lives Matter tweet by that woman who's one of the organizers. Did you hear yeah, about this? Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, so she tweeted something along the lines of like, Allah, help me not kill these men and white people today. Yeah. Which is something I think every five seconds. But I think that's like a good <laughs> example. <laughs> of, yeah. Like that's a lot easier to talk about than whatever the issues are of the Black Lives Matter movement in Toronto or outside of it it can be really easy to sort of get bogged down by talk or not bogged down, but just maybe talk about identity more than economics, but that's not necessarily just true of the left. Yeah. Like everybody can do that. And you see this, you see this with like concern trolling where I don't think this article actually addresses any of the major issues. It's kind of just like taking a shit on people who talk about identity. Yeah. And I mean, with the example you brought up of the tweet, I think the way that's been covered so far is really reflects on the media as a whole. I think it's a trend where kind of like serious issues of racial injustice, like the ones being, you know, touched on by Black Lives Matter, don't really get much coverage, don't get the coverage they deserve. And then something, you know, which is very insignificant, like that tweet, um, which has no kind of systemic backing, which doesn't really have any long-term implications which like you said could be something people think every five seconds and probably don't act on i mean like i don't act on it right, but just yeah. know that i'm thinking it almost yeah. all the time a- and that got a ton of attention people go crazy about that mm. kind of stuff and yeah. it just kind of shows it's a lot easier um, to misconstrue as well than it is if you're talking about like yeah economics 
Yeah, and it just kind of shows the shallow conceptions of race, I guess, kind of like oh, reverse racism. Like, let's focus on Which that. It's not a thing. Exactly. It's yeah. not a thing. Yeah, I'm pretending to be the people <laughs> oh, reacting to you. the tweet. Okay, like, uh, don't worry. Checking. No, I'm pretending to be what's his name, Jerry Agar. I think yeah, that's how you say. I'm pretending to, to be him. Name. But um, yeah, no. So it just it shows the really shallow conception, which mm -hmm. I think is a public issue, but the media also really reflects it and doesn't do enough to challenge it. So there was a follow-up piece that the Walrus also ran mm -hmm. that sort of just debates what John Kay is saying. And I mean, it's nice that they ran it. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, I've, I used to pitch to John sometimes when he was at the National Post, and he always seemed kind of interested in having, like, the token lefty there to talk about an issue. And, I mean, I think that's what he was doing on Twitter. He was actively searching for it. I mean, it's nice that he did it. I don't know how seriously I should take it because it seems kind of like marginalizing that writer and just saying, okay, you can come and respond to this, but then that's it. Like, we'll he's use a, you for this he's purpose. He's a delightful and, contrarian. Yeah. <laughs> but I also do like that he's like talking about the progressive media and he works for the walrus. Yeah. Really, like I thought the walrus was sort of considered that for a really long time. Progressive? But I guess maybe not anymore. I don't know. That word means nothing now. Yeah. Like progressive media independent media i don't really know mm, what it's a very watered are. down term mm -hmm. i mean at this point it's kind of like saying hipster i mean what does it mean it means uh, nothing and the two are often intertwined <laughs> right exactly so so heather malik wrote a column mm -hmm. about something you wrote yeah and it is a it's delightful yeah <laughs> i've read it seven times so maybe we can start with what she was responding to, which was a piece in the Ryerson Review of Journalism. So you were the blog editor for the RJ in their last issue, and you had written this piece that was about columnists, about Canadian Yeah, columnists. the unbearable whiteness of Canadian columnists. Because they are... Very white, very male, and very old. So what was sort of the crux of your piece then? Just the First, it kind of looked at the stats that do exist to point out that there is this kind of demographic imbalance. And then it was talking to experts um, or people involved. So some of them were editors and I asked them, okay, how are you ending up with this problem? What are you doing to try to solve it? Um, how do you think it got this way? And then also kind of like scholars, academics with their suggestions on how the industry could fix this problem. Um, and a lot of what the article ended up saying was that there has to be change kind of higher up in the newspaper industries, like the people actually doing the hiring. Otherwise, there's not going to be change in terms of who gets hired. And within the piece, there was a GIF that you mm -hmm. guys used, which was, I guess, all of the national columnists, their faces just sort of rotating. Yeah, there was about, like, I think 30, 35. So there's right. a pretty good selection of them, yeah. And Heather Malik was one of the faces. Yeah. And so she wrote a response? Yeah, so, okay, what happened was that piece came out in November. So I'll say that piece came oh. out a long... <laughs> That, that piece came out a long time ago, right? Not Heather Malik's piece, my piece, no, okay? I, yeah, I didn't yeah. realize so, it was that long ago. It was that long okay. ago. So about a week after it came out, the exact kind of drama that's going on with Heather Malik now happened with the Toronto Sun people. Um, and they really lost their shit about it. Um, Lori Goldstein, Tarek Fatah, those sort of people, because they said we had a couple of their columnists in the thing and they said the exact same thing. Oh, you're portraying them as white. They aren't white. So that whole fiasco happened. That was wrapped up. And it was just as bad as the Malik one, but at least it was on time, right? So <laughs> <laughs> the Malik one is six months late. I don't know. Basically, she contacted me and the corrections page at the review, and she demanded a correction. I don't say request because it was demanded kind of with the authority that a Toronto Star columnist thinks they have. That they well, can what just, did she say? You portrayed me as white in the GIF. 
I'm not white. My or I'm of mixed race. She said. Yeah. She said her、uh, father was Indian and her mother is Scottish. So she said, I want you to issue a correction. I want you to send it to me, and I also want you to send it to the public editor at the Toronto Star. So、uh, the request was put in this way, as if you know she thought we would automatically do this because we're a student publication and she's at the Toronto Star. And our editor said no to the correction because there was absolutely no problem. I mean, the GIF has a variety of columnists. It has columnists who are very obviously not white.、Right. So I don't. Well, one、I'm, of them is Desmond. Who yeah, does Desmond Cole, comments,、yeah. Royce, and James. So you know, if you actually. Had like five seconds to watch the full GIF, which I don't know if she had. You would see that there's very obviously columnists that are not white. So, you know, to say that we thought she was white is really condescending. I don't know how she could think that. Anyway, so we rejected the correction, obviously, and then I think there was silence there until April Fool's Day、um, <laughs> when she decided to publish the column. I mean, the timing on this was is、perfect. my favorite. Yeah, I said she was acting in the festive season. Oh, so, precious. Yeah, okay, it's、yeah. very noble. So yeah, the column started off there with her complaining about that, and then from that point she shifted to saying that the、um, Ryerson journalism staff is mostly white. So. We weren't in a position to talk about that, which again doesn't make sense. I mean, I said in my piece, like if I was the administrator at Ryerson that was hiring the professors, and I was hiring mostly white people, and then I wrote the piece against the journalists, maybe it would be somewhat、sure. relevant there. But I mean, I'm a student. The Ryerson Review of Journalism is student produced. It has some autonomy from yeah. The staff I mean, as well, it、yeah. has autonomy from the staff. We also don't have any hiring capacity. I mean, we don't hire the people that are teaching <laughs> us. So it seems like really an irrelevant point, but it's really a deflection, right? So you can shift the attention to that instead of addressing the very serious issues that my piece pointed out six months ago.、Um, <laughs> uh, so you know, it was a bad point, but it was also a point that I, is reflected in a lot of the media, which is just kind of deflecting or smearing people and trying to avoid. Uh, the issue at hand, she confirms that that's what she wanted to do by the end because the last kind of lines of her article were just like, "Oh, it's all about talent, anyways. That's what should matter, not the demographic of the people." And that's such a common argument against calls for diversity that I don't know if, if it even needs responding to. But but I think that's interesting that when when we talk about diversity. And first of all, I like I hate that term, yeah. like diversity. Yeah, like, we've talked about yeah, it a lot know, at the like, RJ. It doesn't mean anything, and but like it, there's no better yeah, word for it. But when we talk about who we hire,、mm-hmm. so often that conversation just gets derailed by the inexplicable. And an example of that is this column. And I think you know her saying like, "Well, that matters is talent." And I think when you're in journalism school, especially, it's really important to see people who look like you who are working. Yeah, and I mean. The way she derailed it also says a lot about what people think of the industry. So if you say, "Okay, it's all about talent,"、um, and you're saying this system exists right now, like a meritocracy, where people get hired based on their talent,、um, if this system actually exists, then what you're saying is that there's no talent in non-white communities. Basically, that, that's I mean, that's the implicit thing, and that that's is, what you're yeah, arguing. That's totally true. So I mean, like I said in my piece, realistically, like there is a lot of talent; it's just not really being discovered. And second, well, the, it's harder. It's harder. Yeah. yeah. And second, the meritocracy, this ideal state, does not exist. Otherwise, we wouldn't be reading Heather Malik's columns every week for this for so long, right? And I genuinely do believe that. I mean, I think there's a lot of columnists where. If a genuine meritocracy did exist, they would not have those jobs because those are very coveted jobs, right? I think a lot of other people may have them instead. So you know, it's a deflection, but it says a lot about kind of common perceptions that are you know dangerous. So there's one part in her column that I think stands out, 
It says, I am diverse. I contain multitudes. In fact, I am diversity incarnate. When it comes to race, I'm practically transgender, which is cool right now. And then it goes on, wait, that's close to a compliment. And my mother trained me never to accept such trinkets. We are not put on this earth for pleasure, she would sigh. But my dear father disagreed. What? I had two initial reactions (laughs) to this. First was like disgust because it's a really awful comment. And second, I mean, she said she came across my article when she was sick. So I'm imagining her kind of fevered on NyQuil, writing this article and just throwing words together. So you because think it she sounds, wrote this in a fever dream? Yeah, I, it must have been because I don't understand. It makes literally no sense. I mean, there's columnists that I don't like as much. I don't like their political views, but at least they have a somewhat coherent structure. This is just, I don't know. Um, but the comment is also really disgusting. It's really strange. Yeah. And I mean, like, I guess it's meant tongue in cheek. I don't think she's being serious. I think she thinks she's being funny, mm-hmm. but I just don't find it funny. Yeah, I mean, I don't find it funny, and I also don't think it's something really to joke about, you know? Like, yeah, I think if you talk to anyone who's transgender, they're probably not using it as like a hilarious punchline. To yeah, life. yeah. Um, especially, like I said in my piece, it, um, her article came out, I think, one or two days after Transgender International Day, which is basically trying to shine... Day of a, Visibility. Day of visibility, day yeah, visibility, yeah. Which is trying to shine a positive light because there are there's all of these really, really negative issues. And so then to say it's like it's a fad or it's something that's cool, I mean... I Although, know, I, I mean, so. her calling herself diverse is pretty funny because a person cannot be diverse. Mm-hmm. It's like me being like, I'm a sofa. Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter if I say it. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Uh... She's a treat. Davide, thanks for coming. My pleasure. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. I'm on Twitter at Saatchi, S-C-A-A-C-H-I. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Davide, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Davide Mistracci, D-A-V-I-D-E-M-A-S-T-R-A-C-C-I. It's a mouthful. Yes. Our website is canadalandshow.com. For those of you in Toronto, you can get tickets to the live launch of our arts and culture show, The Imposter at Hot Docs on April 20th. Also, if you're in Toronto, Vicky Mochama, who writes the newsletter Not Sorry, will be taking part in a panel on feminism at Spur Toronto. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The show is produced by Kevin Sexton. If you like what we do, support us. Oh my god, did you just answer the phone who dat? Who dat, yeah. Okay. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Oh, good. So we were talking about the Panama papers earlier today. Uh-huh. So I wanted to know how many offshore banking accounts you have. I have um an account in I have an account in Switzerland because mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little bit more uh, sophisticated and out there. Oh, so Switzerland offshore accounts are more sophisticated than offshore accounts in Panama. Yeah, because the thing is, um, Swiss uh, banks are non-discriminating. They have they parked all the money that Nazis looted. <laughs> don't don't talk about Nazi gold. Not all of our conversations need to derail into Nazi gold.
I'm not talking about my, I'm giving you the reason as to why I have uh, large amounts stashed in okay. uh, uh, Yes, accounts. but the main question is at what point do I get access to all of your Nazi gold? It depends on how you behave. And, well, how, uh, how, what does that what, mean? It's for me to know and you to find out.